I think it's really good that people can have open conversations uh, about going to therapy. I guess there was a period of time where it was perhaps viewed as a bit weird telling people that you had a personal trainer. And I still think we have that now when people say, I'm going to see my therapist. It's a bit weird, but undoubtedly we'll move past that where it's just being viewed as part of your, your general mental wellness. And in the same way that we wouldn't hide ourselves in the house if we've broken our arm, we shouldn't be ashamed to hide ourselves away if we've got mental health and if we need to ask for support. That's still there, but we've got to really sort of move past that. Welcome everyone to another episode of Podium Stories. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, His name is Richard. He's the founding partner at The Conscious Fund. And he's the co-founder at Microdose, which is an incredible media company that I think is very interesting, the work they do there. Um, today, we, I think we have a very special episode. Uh, we're going to talk about the future of medicine. We're going to talk about the work that they do with the fund. And we are also going to talk about uh, building media companies around it. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. Absolutely. So uh, I want to start with your origin story. But before we get into that, uh, just for the people that are not familiar, obviously, I've done my research. Uh, but for the people that are not familiar with the Conscious Fund, can you give us the elevator speech of uh, what you guys are doing there, uh, the type of work you're doing, without getting into it, because we'll get into it later, uh, but just to give people a frame of reference. Sure. Um, We are one of the most active venture capital funds in psychedelic medicine. Uh, We're generalists, as long as it has psychedelics in it. Uh, So in our portfolio, you would find what are relatively conventional drug discovery companies. So these are companies who are starting to look for green shoots and to bring a new licensed medicine into the market. But in there, you'll also find companies who are building out the last mile. So those are therapy centers. Companies are working with machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, media companies, both in the the business space, but also in the consumer space, um, SaaS businesses. So quite generalist but there is always a psychedelic element to everything that we do. I love that. Uh, and this is a very interesting topic for me personally. I think uh, people are going to find it very interesting as well. Uh, but I wonder what led you to get here. Like, What's the origin story of Richard that eventually uh, reached that destination of psychedelics and working around that space? Sure. So probably about 10 years ago now, um, I brought out with my team uh, a mobile app called DigiPill, and it came into the market at the same time as Calm and Headspace came into the market. And in fact, for a moment in time, we actually used to beat them in the revenue charts and the download charts. And, and most people are probably not aware that Calm and Headspace are not actually American companies. They came out of the United Kingdom. Um, amazing founders. Um, uh, we all heard no from the same venture capitalists when we went to talk to them about guided meditation. Um, uh, They jumped on the plane uh, and they visited Silicon Valley and history for those two companies uh, was changed. So I guess I was a failure. It was a success, but it failed at the same time. It's still still on the App Store, actually, but uh, I I think we do 50 downloads a day to their 50,000. But for me, I'd always wanted to build a business in the mental health space. And my objective was building a product which took away some of the stigma of going and seeking help. Uh, And I thought the way that you do that is actually by building a really nice brand around this. The therapy has got to be legitimate, but we've got to get to the point that somebody is comfortable enough to take a screenshot of the app and say, and put it onto Instagram 
and say, I'm using this app. So they are telling people that they've got some form of uh, mental health challenge that they're using. Uh, and if you, if you search the hashtag DigiPill on Instagram, you'll see there are lots of screenshots. And when the first one appeared, that for me was that validation that you can create a product which helps people in a really heavily stigmatized area. Now, you can only go so far with cognitive behavior therapy, with hypnosis, with guided meditation. And I was always really looking for how do we treat a lot of people with a lot of problems? Um, what, is the, what is the key that we need to put into the lock? Because a therapy process is, you know, is, it can sometimes be multi-year. Um, and, and people are in a, you know, a pretty dark place when they uh, quite often go to, to seek help. So I went into kind of conventional venture capitalism. Um, I, I joke um, there are only so many two-sided marketplaces and dog walking apps that uh, a man could look at. Um, and I realized it wasn't for me. I wasn't going to be investing into things which I really, really passionately cared about. And as an investor and as an entrepreneur, I always say, you know, look to build things and invest into things that you really, really believe in because you're going to be doing this um, for you know most of your you know most of your working life while you're on that journey, um, and uh, prior to my uh, my sort of my early midlife crisis was to go and work in the music industry, um, and I spent a number of years in the electronic music industry, um, and that of course comes with a number of connotations, um, and you get to see thousands of people in peace and harmony and enjoying themselves. And, hey, certain things may happen at those parties. Um, I, I, I was the person who was running the party, so I, I never got to be in the same uh, place as the people who are enjoying the peace and harmony, shall we say. <laughs> but I did have a takeaway from that um, because I'd grown up in a, in a club culture as, uh, as a sort of a, a younger clubber, which was around alcohol. And, you know, I'd seen a lot of the trouble that we had in the UK around football violence and clubs yeah. and football hooligans all went together. And then I got dropped into this world uh, of electronic music where you have thousands of people in a room and people just wanted to hug each other and there was no trouble. Um, so I kind of, in, in a really weird way, I was able to, to, to sort of see that level up that was created through psychedelics and also had a really good understanding of, of therapy mechanisms. And the more I read about it, the more I realized that actually this is potentially the, the way um, that we sort of get out of it. And, I, and I've always really enjoyed um, categories which very few people um, believe in when you go into that category. Um, you know, so for me, my first internet business was a, a site um, which did 140 characters and an at symbol, um, and it wasn't called Twitter. It was well before <laughs> Twitter. It was called Ubuntu. It was uh, backed by Deutsche Telekom, and consumers just did not understand it. The business right. ended up pivoting, um, became very successful at what they did, but it wasn't in the direct consumer space. Um, I then did my time in the music industry. I set up a ventures incubator in the technology space, which is what led me to doing the DigiPill project. And that was at the very, very beginning of this next generation of the, the internet mobility, um, where people were still arguing as to whether, you know, whether people would download mobile apps. Well, you only want five mobile apps on your phone. Can't see that anybody would download you know, additional mobile apps. Of course, that was proved to be fundamentally uh, wrong. So yeah, so when I went back into the venture space, being able to, um, uh, you know, go across a multiple of companies and just really time it um, 
at a, at, a, at a really sort of special moment. So when we started to look to build the fund, it really was a, a, a big greenfield space. Um, right. There was very few companies. The companies that existed had been backed by arguably some of the most um, notable investors in the world. So the Peter Thiels and the Mike Novogratz of this world had already invested uh, into medical psychedelics. Uh, and they were fairly big companies. They they were outside of the sizing of a seed fund. They were, you know, B, B plus. Um, mm. uh, but I looked and thought, you know, there's going to be lots of really interesting innovation which comes in this space. Um, who's supporting that? Um, and that's really why we, we, we focused in on the seed spot um, for what we do at the fund. I love that. Uh, this is a relevant topic for myself as well. Uh, I was... It's funny that you we talked about therapy. Uh, the last call I had before this was my therapy session. Uh, I started going to therapy when I was 18. Uh, and I always said it's one of the best investments I've ever made uh, in my life by far. Uh, yeah, and so, I, think, I, I think it's really good that people can have open conversations uh, about going to therapy. Um, you know, I guess there was a period of time where it was perhaps viewed as a bit weird telling people that you had a personal trainer. Right. People, oh, right, okay, that's a bit weird. Um, and I still think we have that now when people say, I'm going to see my therapist, it's a bit weird. But undoubtedly, we'll move past that, where, where it's, it's just being viewed as part of your, you know, your, your, your general mental wellness. And um, in the same way that, you know, we wouldn't hide ourselves in the house if we, you know, broken our arm, we shouldn't be ashamed to hide ourselves away if we've got, you know, mental health and if we need to, if we need to ask for support, that, that stigma is still, it's still there, but we, we've, we've got to really sort of move uh, past that. Uh, absolutely. And, and you're in an industry where there's a lot of stigmas, right? There's a stigma, but with a microdose, for example. Oh, I mean, uh, we've got double stigma. We've got double stigma. I mean, we've got the fact that there's been 50 years of misinformation um, right. around a lot of these substances and we're dealing with mental health. Um, right. But in a way, it, it creates um, different types of access um, where people will go on a, a journey where they want to learn more uh, about the substances. Uh, so you have conversations which we, we hear play back to us from you know, doctors who are already working in the space, clinical trial people, where people actually have gone away and done huge amounts of research on the, the compound and on the therapy, which you just wouldn't tend to get with conventional medicine, right. where there wouldn't be that excitement and that, that sort of mystery. And I, I guess people, when they say to me, it's like, what's your ultimate ambition in the psychedelic medicine space? I say, when they're boring. <laughs> when there's nothing right. exciting about it and it's not associated with flashing lights, um, it's become normalized and, and, and yeah and, and that's going to take, take a long long time um before that happens because we are we are super early in the cycle of just explaining to people that you know things which currently sit you know in the united states as a schedule one drug and currently are labeled as having no known therapeutic benefit well that's wrong um and and in the next 12 18 24 months that will change. Uh, these medicines are quite late in the clinical um, uh, stage of their development. And that means that we will reach a point where they become licensed medicines rather than controlled narcotics. 
and how do we create change, right? How, is the change have to be uh, from uh, politics? Is, does it have to be from business and creating new startups? Is the change from individual people getting more education? Is it a great question? Great, great question. There are so many people who are involved um, as change makers in this space. Um, there are doctors building out ginormous alliances, and I'm super proud to have been part of helping to establish one of those alliances uh, where other doctors have conversations with other doctors um, because healthcare professionals um, need to know what to do when you walk into their office and you say, hey, I saw the front page of the New York Times. I've been reading about MDMA therapy and it's potentially quite helpful for my PTSD. And the doctor doesn't mishear, mishear you and think that you're asking if they can supply something because you're going right. to a rave at the weekend. You know, so that's, that's a fundamental change which has got to take place with medical practitioners. And, and it does look like it's happening. The, the data which is coming out is actually very positive. Uh, doctors, by their very, very nature, are deeply inquisitive people. Uh, they go away, they read the papers, they look for the validation, you know, which university has been behind the paper, which scientists, what are their qualifications, what are the supporting data. Uh, and so data, which is coming out, is incredibly important in terms of supporting um, this industry. Um, and, and we've got to get medical professionals behind it. We've got to get legislators um, to understand in some countries it is about legislation change which needs to take place in other countries it's about educating regulators uh, and getting regulators uh, comfortable uh, with with the area so you know there are many many thousands of people across the world um, who are working on this uh, a lot of them unpaid um, right. a lot of the most amazing work which has happened in this space has been done by not-profits incredibly generous people who have supported um, this space uh, technology entrepreneurs who've committed 50 percent of their their overall wealth to the wow. evolution uh, of this space um, because of how meaningful um, the impact has been on their lives so all of those things really sort of come together, um, which is why as somebody who's a professional investor in this space, I, I feel a responsibility to do more than just invest capital, but also to look at how we can create vehicles for change, which is why we, we realize the importance of actually having a media platform which spoke exclusively about the business of psychedelics, because there are huge amounts of titles which talk about taking psychedelics, um, that's an area that's pretty well covered. I mean, some of the videos on YouTube have got tens of millions of views, but we wanted to talk about the business and, and the business of psychedelics also is all, it's very all encompassing. So we are talking about um, history and heritage. We're talking about prohibition. We're talking about legislation. In the next report, we're talking about share prices and we're talking about floats and we're talking about NASDAQ and private placements and venture capital. Um, so the business of psychedelics is quite a broad uh, term because right. there are so many sort of moving parts which sit underneath that. Absolutely. And I want to talk a lot about the, the media company, but before we get into that, I have a final question because I also think the change uh, happens at a, the individual level. Um, and because of our audience, which are mostly entrepreneurs and CEOs and founders, uh, I want to ask you uh, the relationship between psychedelics and founders and entrepreneurs. Uh, so just to give an example, I've done drugs, certain drugs uh, recreationally, and I've been offered psychedelics, but I've always been uh, 
uh, a step away from that. Um, and I haven't considered psychedelics from a mental health standpoint. Um, I know a lot of founders are also struggling with mental health and they look at that as an opportunity to make a change for their uh, emotional well-being. And, and, but how do they start? Like what, what's the, if you were talking to a founder who's like, I'm thinking about it, I just don't have enough information or I don't know where to do my first step. Uh, where do these founders, where do these entrepreneurs uh, should go? Well, it's a good question. Now, obviously, there's a uh, there's a there's a line that I have to. It's quite. I mean, it's quite interesting. So, when I was a technology VC, if a founder came to me and they said, "I'm I'm I'm super interested in trying psychedelics," um, I, I would have been like, "Wow, woof, this is right. a conversation we can have." Um, uh, there is a. Uh, there is a different level of sort of openness uh, yeah. that we have in this space. Um, I would say the vast majority of our portfolio company senior leadership have given me a strong indication that they've had some form of experience um, mm -hmm. and some are far more open than others. Um, uh, what tends to be the starting point is um, usually I've read Michael Pollan's Change Your Mind book um and and that's actually what's brought an incredible amount of um people and money into this space i was i was teasing michael um a few months ago i was like you are the biggest originator for venture capital <laughs> um in this industry because every single in, investor into our fund that i've spoken to will always tell me that the, the reason they decided to to drop us an email and reach out and find out more about what we're up to is because they've just read Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind book. So it tends to be, that can be a, good a, piece of, a piece of literature, a certain Sentence. film, or sometimes it's a little darker. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it's a family member or potentially even themselves and they've had struggles and they've just gone out to seek this information in. And I go back to that sort of a, that earlier point where you're talking to people who are, you know, as, as potential patients who've actually got quite a lot of domain expertise because they've actually been out and they've gone and researched um, a, a lot of these things themselves. That makes sense. Awesome. I, I appreciate that uh, and that transparency. Um, let's move to the media company, right? Because what we were talking about, uh, change also comes from having the, information uh, about the space. Uh, so at what point do you guys decide that there needs to be a media site or a media arm uh, to the fund? Or at one point do we realize that uh, th there's a media company that is a green space for a media company that you guys- <laughs> So there was a bit of, um, uh, there's a bit of borrowing somebody else's playbook. And there was also a very certain moment in time. And in fact, I think we are actually met because of the person's playbook. Uh, that I borrowed, which was Harry Stebbings. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd watched Harry for a number of years um, evolve. I remember when he got his uh, first gig in, in VC. I thought, this is a very smart guy. I think he was about 15 at the time. Um, so I've really sort of watched and admired the way that he's sort of gone about differentiating himself. Um, and I've also been of a strong belief, having done this in some emerging categories, when I was doing a bit of work in the medical cannabis industry, put the best party on for everybody in the industry. When I was doing work in the blockchain space, 
make sure that you're putting on really informative events, which is super fun. Uh, I did it in the mobile app space as well. Um, and when I was actually um, uh, with the T-Mobile folks 20 something years ago, my job was just putting on parties um, <laughs> with them. It was make the brand cool. So I, I've always been the one who's wanted to kind of hold um, the guest list and, right. and bring really interesting people into uh, the conversation. And actually what happened here um, was this thing called a global pandemic starting. So in February, March, we started to write our first checks uh, as investors. And we backed companies like Cybin, which is now on the New York Stock Exchange, Atai, which is now on the NASDAQ. And I thought, this is going really, really well. Um, and then, of course, doosh, uh, everybody kind of started to sit on their hands. Nobody really knew what was going to happen. And I said, I've got to be more productive than not knowing what's going to happen. So why don't we put on a virtual event for our portfolio companies? Um, and listen, if we get five of them to speak and 50 people come along, then we've done well. Um, so we gave ourselves four weeks to put it on. And we ended up having 110 speakers. It ran for two days. We had a Zoom after party and we got 1,200 people. And uh, everybody's there in the chat rooms. I'm watching people say, you know, saying, hey, I'm a student. I came along to this. I now know what I want to do. Um, I got emails after the, uh, the event. Um, and, uh, you know, people saying, thank you so much for putting it on. I was in your Slack channels and I raised a million seed in your Slack channel. And I was like, OK, so the world isn't stopping. Um, and then, of course, when you do this really successful um, event um, and it really felt like there was this huge amount of real connection um, in a you know in the metaverse right. um, <laughs> um, uh, and people say what, what comes next and we realized a couple of things one you can raise money remotely so we started to put on events which were purely for companies who were looking to raise money uh, called psychedelic capital. And then we started to do far more deep dives into the science. So we collect, you know, we created the molecular masterclass um, series. But our absolute ambition was finding the perfect moment in time where we could bring the whole industry together and we could put on a really big party. Um, uh, which is what we did in November of last year in Miami. Um, when just about anybody who was in the industry came together, a couple of thousand people, um, beautiful venue. Um, and now that, uh, you know, that, that media company turns over a couple of million a year, employs 20 people. So, you know, for us as VCs, we've got a really um, important um, channel that we can utilize. Um, we can raise the profile of companies that we invest into. We've got a you know, a big, big sort of live and virtual event format that we can do. But we've also really, really wanted to ensure that the purpose of this vehicle remains with the same integrity as when we started it. And the reason we started it was how can we help people understand what's happening in this category? So we, in many regards, take a little bit of a, a backseat we bring other fund managers. So people would say, well, you're, you know, you're rivals. Yeah, well, not really, because my, my goal here is actually getting right. medicines into patients who need help. Making money is just a byproduct of that. 
Um, so if I support other venture capitalists who are rivals to me, hey, that's not a problem at all. And we, you know, we give as much love um, to companies who are outside of our portfolio, companies we passed on, companies we missed, um, because we go back to where you go back to why did we do it? Because we wanted to create a platform which was ultimately, you know, needed for that moment in time where we had that uncertainty in our lives as to what was actually happening uh, and now that uncertainty has passed the platform is a lot bigger um, and it's got a, a you know a much a much much bigger audience that makes a lot of sense Richard uh, tell me about because this is some this certain thing that personally is very interesting to me I'm, I'm the founder of Influence Podium and Influence Podium we help B2B companies turn to media companies so we know it's not an easy uh, change or, or to create this media arm um, what's been the biggest challenge as you guys create the media company is there something that sticks out of like once we figured that out everything kind of put together yeah like well I mean for, for us it was um, I guess the biggest challenge and at the same time it was the biggest opportunity was try and make sure you put yourself a little bit in the back seat we didn't want it to be the conscious fund um, so we created a completely separate brand we get to tag along with that we get to put our logo all over it but then that comes that responsibility that if it's your exclusive megaphone then people just view it as being you know well that's your propaganda wing um we didn't want to do that we we wanted to create um something which in many regards is much bigger than, than right. we are you know our audience reach is 50 fold um right. the reach that we have as a fund um and we're cool with that that's that's absolutely fine um because i think if we if we'd have just made it about us and our companies um then it wouldn't be that interesting right i love that uh, richard is super interesting super valuable i think we could talk for a couple hours uh, we have a couple minutes left i have a question that we ask all the guests uh, this is a selfish question uh, so i just turned 25 um what's what if you could go back in time talk to richard 25 What's one piece of advice do you give yourself um, if that uh, magic existed? Is there anything you would go back and tell yourself at my age? Uh, yeah. Um, what was I doing at 25? I was wasting my <laughs> life away at 25. I just sold a company. Um, I was in kind of go slow mode, um, frustrated with where I was living. Um, all I wanted to do was get the heck out of the north of England and move to London. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I was in a bit of a, yeah, I was just comfortably coasting. Um, right. uh, do the stuff that you love and the stuff that you enjoy. Um, I think mean, that for me has been my, uh, you know, very fortunate in, in life. Uh, and if it's, if it's not fun and you're not enjoying it, then find something else to do. You know, I got my dream job in venture capital. You know, I was a partner, had a fund, and I just realized it wasn't for me. Um, and after three months, I just said, it's not what I want to do. Um, and so I moved on, and people thought I was, you know, slightly crazy um, and couldn't just recover from thing. that. Yeah, I couldn't recover from that. But I had my own reasons. I, di I didn't enjoy the environment. I didn't enjoy the area. I was, you know, tasked to. And, I, and do you know what? It's because I rushed it. I was offered the gig um and um on reflection it wasn't the right gig for me but i took it because i i you know that is what i'd wanted to achieve and actually when i achieved it i realized 
wasn't really what I wanted. And and now I'm, you know, now I'm a partner again in a venture capital fund, but I'm investing in things that I passionately care about. Uh, and that makes me, you know, super happy that I, I get to do that. So yeah, don't rush it, I think is the advice. I love it. Uh, Richard, personally, I think it's one of my favorite episodes and I don't say that to everybody, I promise. Oh, uh, you're gonna, too kind. Uh, we're gonna link your Twitter, we're gonna link Conscious Fund, we're gonna link Microdose. Um, if you're interested in the space, I think Richard's the person to talk to. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to be here, share your story, share the work that you guys are doing. This was really special. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for letting me drop in. Absolutely. Thank you so much for everybody listening. We'll see you next time.